0: Hi, and welcome to the Digital Health Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Cebulski. This is a regular panel discussion held with the brightest minds in the healthcare industry. We host collaborative conversations from all physicians, patients, scientists, creatives, and executives, devoting their efforts to putting the care back into healthcare. We cover it all, from delivery pharmaceutical life science, digital health, mental health, retail health, and anything anyone's doing with an innovative intent in the market. Stay tuned for a special episode of the Digital Health Roundtable. Hi, and welcome to the Digital Health Roundtable. I am your host, Matt Sobolski. I am here today with a very, very special guest, dipping my toe uh, a little bit into the uh, investment world to get a worldview and some influence from someone who is keeping her finger on the pulse of the expanding circle of digital health. And that is Alex Esparza. Alex, welcome to the show. Introduce yourself. Tell us what you do.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I've, I've listened to a lot of the pods, and I'm I'm very happy to be contributing. Um, so as you mentioned, my name is Alex Esparza. I um, have been an investment banker in digital health, which, as you know, is an emerging field. Uh, for the last two years. Um, I've spent my entire career in and around both technology, healthcare, and investing for the last uh, 12 years or so. Um, I've had seats as a trader. Um, I've worked um, with healthcare hedge funds, mutual funds to help them on their um, investment practices. Um, I spent some time as um, an investor myself sitting at a small cap globally focused hedge fund. Um, and as I mentioned, most recently, I've been working as an investment banker, um, having spent some time focused primarily on helping companies raise private capital uh, from the venture community, as well as crossover and public equity investors. And most recently, I have dove in headfirst into uh, building out business focused on digital health and wellness. Um, definitely saw it as, you know, an area of technology that was going to become increasingly important as time went on, with an enormous TAM and enormous implications with regard to health equity and the furthering of uh, health access for more people going forward. So super excited to be here and super excited to be focusing on that space.
0: Well, I, I'm glad you're here. Um, I found our first meeting to be. Uh, energizing, and you're so incredibly thoughtful uh, and well-versed in in this field, even though uh, there's been a couple of years here where you've been getting uh, up to speed. Now, you mentioned some wonderful terminology and some really important metric concepts, and we'll get to that. Uh, and that's why your expertise is so interesting to this show, where we spent a great deal of time with the creators and the founders and the clinicians. And we really want to dig in with people who say, where is this headed in uh, a market and how can mm-hmm. you impact that? So that's you. Now, the title of the show is Digital Health Winners, Customized, Democratized, and Destigmatized. stigmatized um, We want to start, or at least I want to start, digging into your brain, something you and I talked about at Coffee uh, down in Manhattan, which is your worldview and your why. So you mentioned health equity and access as a priority. Tell us about that in terms of democratization for digital health.
1: Absolutely. So... As I mentioned, I, you know, I've spent some time uh, working within the the tech ecosystem. I, I went to Stanford, so it was really embedded in Silicon Valley. Um, and most recently, as I mentioned, as a, as a digital health banker, I, I was sitting within um, a technology focused investment banking team. So a, a lot of how I, you know, initially came to the space was because I I thought, wow, you know, th- this is going to be a huge market. It's highly investable. And it's really kind of the, the one part of technology I can I can pinpoint where I think some real social good um, can potentially come out of it. Um, you know, the dig the digger the deeper I di- dug, um, the more I realized that aside from being very interesting and and an incredible opportunity, um, a lot of what was going on in digital health spoke to just my personal why um, with regard to you know greater justice for more people, um, and in this case, health equity and greater health justice for more people. Um, if, if you look at where a lot of the, what I think the, the best opportunities and products are, I, I kind of have a, a, a loose uh, qualitative framework I like to work with, um, meaning winners are going to be companies that are customizing care, um, consumers, consumers. Patients in this case, but consumers have largely been socialized by the greater tech world to expect products that they engage with to um, be be very consumer friendly, easy to use. And now the kind of the next bounce of the ball is highly customized. If you think about how consumers order and purchase food and other products, how they consume media, how they consume fitness technology and. Um, they expect customization on a more and more granular level than ever before, and technology has allowed this. Um, this is true for healthcare as well. Um, technology allows more patients to have this sort of highly customized care that once may have just been reserved for the very wealthy or people who had, you know, kind of an on-demand or concierge care at, at their at their fingertips. Um, the big one I mentioned is democratization is sort of the next metric. Um, is this a product that's scalable enough that more people have access? Um, you know, when you go back to that why of health justice, we obviously, you know, live in a world and in a country that has um, a system of providing health care that does not reach, all of our people and citizens equally um, whether that be by metrics of race of sex of sex and gender of age um, of, of rural versus urban um, of young versus old um, we do not distribute high quality health care equitably and there are a number of reasons why people don't either don't have access to high quality health care or are battling with health indications that are unequally distributed due to a number of um, social determinants of health that kind of fall along these same lines of, of, of gender, race, um, age, and location. Um, so finding health solutions that are democratizing care um, and then destigmatization is kind of the last big one of this framework simply because another reason why care sometimes becomes inaccessible and why people lack treatment is due to stigmas associated with different health issues right whether it's a long-term embedded cultural stigma such as against different sexuality or sex related issues um, or around gendered health care whether it's a community-based stigma perhaps around certain communities and mental health care Um, or chronic healthcare, uh, stigma has tended to prevent people from getting adequate care. And it's also prevented the system from providing adequate care and speaking about some of these issues out in the open. Um, So, you know, outside of getting into the nitty gritty of the different business models and the different KPIs that I've thought are interesting as an investor, um, I tend to think if you can touch on these three um, hot buttons with a product. Um, you, you will you will have a very interesting solution in property and property and you know investability and large market opportunity will follow. Um, I, I'd also add that, you know, in the case I think the stigmatization is especially interesting, given that from a business perspective, you know there's the ability to have a virtuous cycle flywheel where, as as you as a say as a, as a digital health brand destigmatize a ter- certain health indications. so in this case let's say um around women and sexual health you just you destigmatize by making your brand visible by educating by bringing more consumers and word of mouth discussion to the fore um you're also just naturally increasing the tam for these products um <laughs> for this health vertical so I think these are three very powerful drivers, and I, you know, I just also want to keep in mind that they all touch on um, health justice, right? They're they're all allowing more people to get better quality, better value healthcare more often.
0: You know, I was really struck when you shared this with me: customized, democratized, destigmatized. I do like that you mention also justice. And you made I, I add
1: sustainability in there too. That's a big one. That's a big yeah. part of you know what we should be thinking about.
0: Yeah, without question. I mean, you you point out to us in some of your work and your conversation, and uh, that we're looking to get get better and more healthcare to people, opposed to curing. One thing you said to me that I have not forgotten, and I wrote down, was you said, Matt, women's health isn't a subspecialty. For example, when we look at all three of these pillars that you work upon. When you look about winners and uh, firms in the digital health space, you even talked about social determinants of health and how this impacts women and all of access and cultural competencies related to it. Um, because this is part of your why and part of what drives you as an investor. Could you speak to women's health a little bit and that quote of yours that was so impactful?
1: Absolutely. So this is you know, for, for, for reasons of my own personal health and the body I live in, um, and as a, you know, as a citizen of this world, um, I, I just think that some of the trends towards more investment and more interest in women's health is incredibly important. I sometimes get angry and want to bang my head against the wall when, as you said, I hear people kind of wake up to it as, oh my god, this is an investable space, or oh my god, this is an investable space, but it's a niche space. Um, because at the end of the day, we're talking about healthcare care for 50% of the population. 50% of the population that, you know, if you look at the history of healthcare in this country, we're not allowed to be part of clinical trials until the 90s. So, you know, there's there is a paucity of good data specifically about women and their interactions with certain drugs or the way that they present for certain healthcare indications. Um, you know, 50% of the population that has been being treated in a way that is not compatible with their bodies and how certain diseases like heart disease show up in them Um a part of the population that's creating the next generation, essentially. So this isn't n- a niche subspecialty the way it's always been treated. It is just healthcare for, you know, m- half, a- half of the world, essentially. So I think it's about time that we're seeing some of the trends which we are, which is 2021 had, you know, a kind of a, a banner year in terms of venture dollars going into health digital health. Um, and, and health. It was
0: incredible, Alex. It was incredible.
1: Yes, it was, it was, it was, it was um, you know, I think a, a record breaking year in, in terms of funding, which is great in my mind, not enough. Um, but this, as you mentioned is, you know, the first step towards health equity, and I think digital health is uniquely suited to start to change the tides about how we think about women's health indications, women's health in general, um, because a lot of these companies are coming from the standpoint of, hey, you know, consumer first. We're going to do the job of education. We're going to do the job of creating accessible, friendly, splashy brands. Um, you know, I think I think the, the menopause technology space is a great example of. Um, um, a health a health um, process that happens to everyone if you're in a you know a, a, a female um, body um, that people women just did not know about did not know what would happen to them do not know how to treat it um, a complete taboo, a completely silent and stigmatized thing that happens to everyone. Um, and a lot of these companies are doing the work of saying, hey, you know, not only is this a great business opportunity, but we are suited to tackle it because we can help to take the stigma away by creating accessible brands that educate as they're bringing in new patients and consumers. Um, so I think this this is extremely important because it goes beyond not just getting people adequate health care they didn't even know they could get um it also goes towards just you know allowing for women to exist in society in the world as as whole people that are they are treated as such um so I think it's it's incredibly important and powerful, and you know all the things we're talking about today you know need, needless to say. When you have huge unmet needs like this, it's an ex- extremely exciting business opportunity. But mo- much more importantly, um, this is real change-making work.
0: Yes, it. You know, thanks for bringing us back down to earth with that. It is change-making. Uh, let's dig a little bit deeper, Alex. Uh, when I was speaking to you, I took you farther, and you went farther, and we talked about women's health. We talked about gender. We talked about bodily bo- bodily liberty, which is. Um, and a really important kind of wild topic to be discussing right now, and understanding our bodies and connecting to them. You alluded to this a moment ago as a woman and where you are in your life and also other markets, i.e. uh, menopause. Um, You mentioned to me that understanding our bodies and connecting to our bodies is humanistic healthcare. You spoke to that in some cultural context. Could you go a little further for our audience on what you mean by humanistic healthcare and understanding ourselves?
1: You can't be a full person in the world if you do not know how to take care of yourself and live to kind of the full capacity of of your 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 body and your mind and in your time on Earth. Um, you know, when I when I think through the ages, how because of stigma and because lack of knowledge you know, so many people have been hobbled or barred from participating in society because there was not a full understanding that there was either a solution that could help them or that the thing that we were stigmatizing didn't deserve stigma. Um, I think I mentioned to you, you know, this idea that In many cases, what we consider an impediment or a disability is society creating a roadblock that doesn't need to be there or not bothering to come up with a solution to make it easier for people. I think glasses is a great one, right? We don't think about having poor vision as a disability. If you didn't have glasses, you couldn't really participate in the way you can now with glasses. Um, I think the same can be said around you know, when we treat mental health issues as this not only stigmatized thing, but something that is very hard to, to access care for, either because of cost, um, cultural barriers, or just lack of transparency around how and, and why and when to get um, a clinician involved, um, you know, we're effectively saying that we don't think everyone deserves to be a full, healthy, happy participant. Um in society and I think women's health is kind of the one we all keep going back to because there there are so many historical instances of women being sidelined because oh you can't do this because of that you can't participate in this sport because your uterus will fall out or things people would say you know you can't do this while you're on your period you're going through menopause you have to just tolerate hot flashes and and discomfort just because it's natural and that's your place in the world um I think Humanistic healthcare takes into account that we are responsible for making sure that everyone is able to flourish to their, their full capacity and participate in the ways that they want to.
0: Absolutely. Um, full capacity, full living. You know, Jay Walgamuth from Quest Diagnostics, when I spoke to him, he's the CMO there, he said, You know, our goal is to bring healthcare to the doorstep of America. And being able to live your full life is not stopping everything to find wellness and health. It's connecting to tools that are available to Mm -hmm. us and have been in many sectors besides healthcare, to finally live your life, manage disease, prevent disease, um, and, you know, find the best way to live your life in a way that we all deserve, really and truly in an intrinsic way. This is not luxury. You've mentioned this Mm to me. You said this cannot be a luxury good, Matt. In fact, it's a better product if it's not considered that. What did you mean?
1: This, this is where I think things get interesting because, and this is also a decision that every brand needs to make as they're tackling healthcare from a consumer perspective. Um, and I think it's also just by nature of how the U.S. healthcare system has been set up, we have all sort of been trained to think that premium care is a luxury good, right? It's something you pay for out of pocket. It's um, only accessible to certain demographics. Um, it can become aspirational, right? How, think about where the wellness industry has gone. It's highly aspirational. Um, certain elements of the fitness industry highly aspirational. Um, I think this this is this is a this is a problem. And in designing a healthcare tool, you know, going back to that idea of humanistic health, um, the truly a truly effective, truly scalable tool will be something that can be deployed for the most people, the most easily with the least friction. Um, that, that to me is, is the true innovation we're looking for because otherwise you're really just putting a brand on top of a situation we already have, which is namely if you have the money, you can go out and find the care you need. Um, that's not exactly the problem we're solving for.
0: Right. Um, has fitness tech achieved that? For example,
1: I think it, it fitness tech is really interesting, and it's a space I I love to work in and around and think about. Um, I think it's interesting because it's you know and we definitely saw an evolution during. COVID, I think we really saw products come out that can fit any lifestyle and can fit a number of different use cases. Um, you know, I think some some of the products, you know, there's a company called Future that has um, on-demand personal trainers. I, I love the model. It's It's taking something that was once very, very, very inaccessible. And it's allowing more people to access at a reasonable price point. Um, you have other platforms that are just really affordable streaming content that's getting people up and out. Um, you have platforms that are more at- aspirational and involve the purchase of very high-end hardware. Even those have usually a digital subscription aspect. Um, I think fitness is 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 has done a very good job of filling market holes across the entire spectrum um, where there's really something for everyone and you know in in the process of being a category definer someone like Peloton it has kind of opened the floodgates to the greater consumer world um, in understanding hey there are like great ways to work in my house um, and products have, have come in and said, you know, it also doesn't need to be expensive. So I, th- I find that very exciting that, you know, we have been finding new, affordable, fun ways for people to get fit. Um, I think particularly because it also solves for different abilities, it solves for different ages, um, and it also, you know, a lot of these tools that are helping you work out in your home or by yourself or somewhere like that is helping a lot of people who otherwise might feel intimidated by the traditional gym landscape get out and move. So I think a lot of good stuff is going on in the space.
0: Yeah, I do too. I I agree. It's um, wonderful to see the creativity and then also to see the market respond and consumers respond to their interest in it. Pretty wild um, and exciting times. Uh, Let me, you know, we're coming to time here. Uh, Let me kind of put the spotlight on you. Imagine, you know, Alex, you're sitting in a chair on stage and here we are, uh, all the lights are off in the house and there's just a big spotlight on Alex sitting in this chair. And I ask you the following question, which is, is digital health winning and will it continue to win? if it follows your three pillars of customizability, destigmatization, and democratization?
1: So I will say, I will give you a resounding yes. And <laughs> I think it's important to sometimes tune out market noise, right? Anyone who's listening who has sat in a, in a trader, or investor, or a banker seat, um, you know, right, right now, the, the period we're sitting in, we're starting to see, the market turned down a little bit. We're seeing multiples for some of the digital health companies that went public um, or public via SPAC in 2021, um, trading down to a certain extent. And I think it's easy in a nascent space to get a little bit discouraged and you know want to wait and see till things are proven out and kind of not know where things stand. And I think that's very natural. Um, what I will say, though, is these tools are here to stay. I think regulators and consumers alike um, really got a lot of value during the pandemic um, from digital health tools. I think it was kind of the ultimate use case um, to show the power of granting access more readily, uh, making clinician lives more easy, making consumer time m- more valuably, s- valuably spent, making the dollars go further. Um, I think we saw the power in that for for that that brief moment during COVID. And as we, you know, as time goes on, I think obviously the winning models are going to become more and more clear. I think the, wi- the winning um, ways of integrating with payer networks are going to become more clear, Um, we're going to have more data, we're going to have a greater understanding of what's really working for consumers, either in terms of, you know, adherence to preventative care or just utilization. Um, I think time is going to tell. There's a lot of wood to chop, and there's a lot to learn and a lot to see. But what we have seen so far is extremely exciting. And I just don't think you can put that genie back in the bottle. We've seen that across the board in technology. When when consumers and in this case patients um, get used to um, things being easier, more on demand, cheaper, quicker, better, they don't go back. Uh, they just they just want better and better tools. So I, I I think we're we're only at the you know the very start of a of a marathon at the very tip of the iceberg and um there's so much we haven't even gotten into in terms of the different you know tech that's being deployed um and the different kind of subsectors of healthcare that are being explored um and this is a huge topic so we, we probably can't today but I, I i you know that's a very long winded way of saying i think this is here to stay it's super exciting um and you know we're we're only going to see um technology and healthcare being more more and more and more closely intertwined. It's just a question of honing and figuring out what the, uh, the best ways for the two to work together um, are going to be.
0: Alex, uh, that was wonderful. Uh, You took your stage moment quite well, and I don't have any disagreements with you. I am also quite optimistic to see where this marathon runs. And yes, the genie is out of the bottle Americans and I think consumers worldwide uh, have shown over and over Mm -hmm. that convenience is an irresistible pull to engage. You know, I'll I'll say I'll
1: say one more thing too that I think is really important and kind of ties back to where we started. Um, You know, speaking with CEOs and management of a lot of these companies, a lot of the bellwether companies in the space, everyone is so mission-driven, and we're also working in an ecosystem with a, a new class of CEOs and a new generation that is equity driven, that does think about disparities in health access, that is thinking critically about you know the history of our country, the history of our health system, um, the history of how women have been treated, how people of color have been treated um, in the healthcare system and beyond. And I think what we're really seeing is that being reflected in the sorts of tools and solutions we're getting. So I'm, I'm hugely optimistic that, you know, where this new generation of health companies is going to try to um, take into account a lot of the damaging biases and blind spots that, um, you know, the legacy systems we've built have perpetuated. And I have a lot of hope that, you know, just coming to the field with this new lens and with with creators and founders who have this this lens um, is is going to have a very positive impact on the world going forward.
0: Well, Alex, we share the hope you have as well. Alex, as far as the, thanks for joining the Digital Health Roundtable today.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Matt. It was a pleasure.
0: This has been the Digital Health Roundtable. We'll see you next time. This has been Matt Cebulski with the Digital Health Roundtable. Join us next time for another excellent episode. See you then.